with me to Matthew chapter 5. This is part 4 of a series called Kingdom Culture, where we are walking through the Sermon on the Mount. And two weeks ago, we left off talking around this big idea of us as the people of God, as the church, being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And so Jesus goes through these Beatitudes, and then he says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. And then this phrase or this passage, this section that he says right here is extremely, extremely interesting. Extremely interesting. And if, if you're not careful, it can even be confusing. And so I'm going to try to break this down for us today. And so I'm just going to read this and then we'll kind of backtrack a little bit, um, starting in verse 17. And I've got to do this because I've got scribble scratch from my son um, in there. And so sometimes it's hard to, to read. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of the commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. In verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. I think it's important for us to understand, especially in today's world, that the law cannot save you. The law of God, and now let's just stop right there because there's the Mosaic law, there's the Levitical law, there's all these dietary custom laws like you can't eat shrimp, and if your clothes have got, um, you know, polyester and cotton, then, you know, you're going to hell and all this stuff. And, and so there's some aspects of the law that were in the old covenant that do not apply to us here in the new covenant that Jesus came. But right here it's specifically talking about the Mosaic law. Think Ten Commandments right here. The thing about the Ten Commandments is the law only defines sin. It cannot save you. And so what Jesus is saying is he says, um, if you're as righteous or even more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisee, than all the people that, that are really, really good at what they're doing, then maybe, maybe you can enter into the kingdom of heaven. And oftentimes what happens in our lives is, is we look at our behavior and we judge ourselves based upon our behavior. Like, for instance, let me give you this example. How many of you guys used to go to the gym? Raise hand. If you're online, hit a like button. Put a comment. All right? How many of you guys feel horrible because now you're just eating and you've gained 16 pounds and cheesecake looks amazing, and cashews late at night, and thank you, Dan, for being honest. Thank you. I am having to work through this, and I realize I am not really that good at staying consistent with working out, especially at home. Like, I'm going to do 10 push-ups, and I'm like, whew, I'm winded, and I'm, I walk up the stairs, and I'm like, anyways, I'm getting sidetracked. Let me give you a little bit of backstory of what's going on here. Because Jesus is ushering in a new kingdom. Jesus is ushering in a new way to righteousness, a new way to be reconciled. 
And one of the things about Jesus is he has a tendency to mirror what happened in the Old Testament as a way of fulfilling or accomplishing what the, the law and the prophets prophesied. Hence, he is the Messiah. So just a few of these. Um, Israel were sojourns in Egypt for 400 plus years. Jesus was a sojourn in Egypt whenever Herod wanted to kill Jesus. Um, Israel spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness in a season of fasting and prayer. Israel, now this is so cool. This is so cool. And we didn't realize this until we went to Israel. And you should totally come to Israel with us in 2022. Shameless plug, and I don't care. All right? Um, but like Israel ended up crossing over in the Jordan River. And, and I don't know if you guys know this, but if you like go into Joshua and you read about it, Joshua tells all the, the different tribes, the elders, to like gather some stones and we're going to build a memorial. We're going to build an altar for God. And so they build this, you know, they stack some stones up and they build this massive monument and altar to God so that they can remember whenever they crossed over the Jordan River into the new land. So Jesus goes out and he spends 40 days in the wilderness and, and John the Baptist ends up baptizing Jesus in the exact same spot where Israel ended up crossing over the Jordan River. And so many theologians and scholars actually believe that where Jesus went to, the monument was still there. And Jesus went to the place where Israel crossed over into new life. And Jesus came and was baptized to symbolize the new life that is coming for the Jew and the Gentiles. And whenever I was there in Israel, I was just like, Whoosh. it blew my mind. And then a guy in a Speedo jumped in the Jordan River and they had to like fish him out. I kid you not. It was crazy. He was like, I'm, I'm baptizing myself. Joshua called the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus called 12 disciples. And what Matthew, the writer of this gospel, is essentially trying to show us here is that the kingdom of God is being ushered in and established not through a bunch of righteous rules, but through a person named Jesus Christ. He's trying to show us and share with us that our identity is not in how good or gooder we may be, yes, I know that's improper English, but by who the embodiment of Jesus is and ultimately what Jesus is to us. And so if you call yourself a Christian today, I want to encourage you that you are a child of God. Scripture says that you are holy, you are blameless through the lens of Christ, that you are uh, righteous, that you are a son and daughter, that you are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And for that, somebody in the church better get excited about that because you have been saved from damnation and hell and wickedness and darkness and sin. And, and so... Let me, let me kind of put it this way. You guys, many of you know my son Judah. He's five years old. Um, and we've been going through, and Judah, if you're watching, I just want you to know I love you. But we've been going through some attitude adjustments lately. Like, the switch gets taken away like four times during the day. Type attitude adjustments. Ryan... I'm talking about Ryan, the YouTube 
the eight-year-old that's making $30 million because people like Judah, my son, watch him. Any parents know what I'm talking about with Brian? Anyone? Thank you. All right, one person. The rest of you guys, just go YouTube Ryan, Ryan's World, Ryan's Playdate, Ryan's whatever. So eight-year-old's making $30 million. Anyways, but Judah, Judah has had a habit lately of not following the rules. He back-talks mom. He back-talks me. He disobeys. He uh, gets angry sometimes. He, he does this, ugh, type thing. And, like, dinner time, like, you, you would think that, like, there is spiritual warfare happening every night at our dinner table. I kid you not. But it doesn't matter how good Judah is or how bad Judah is. Judah will always be my son, and he will always be a more. His identity and how much I love him does not change on how good or how bad he actually is during this particular season in his life. And the same thing is true with you and with I that our identity is in Christ, our identity was bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, and it doesn't matter how good we are or how bad we are, that ultimately none of that will change God radically loving you and giving you a new heart. We tend to think, especially in 2020, that if we clean up what's on the outside, then everything on the inside will end up being fixed. If we clean up all the bad habits that we have, stop cussing and uh, you're going to cut out drinking and you're going to eat healthy and you're going to learn to drive a little slower, then what happens is we think that that's going to transform our hearts on the inside. And that's exactly what the religious leaders were doing back then. They were keeping 613 laws, 613 commandments. And Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, you've been following all of these laws, you've been following all of these commandments, and you've got a gold star, but you miss the heart of it here. I'm not trying to transform your behavior, I'm trying to transform your heart. It starts from the inside out. Whenever we allow Jesus into our heart and we make him Lord of our life and we submit to his ways, then what happens is his Holy Spirit comes inside of us and literally starts to transform us. Our identity gets shifted from an identity of the world to an identity in Christ, in, uh, in, in Jesus as the Son of God, co-heirs with Christ. And then from there, our behavior starts to transform and start to change. The sad truth, and this is a sad truth, and I say this with love, the sad truth is churches across America pre-COVID, I'm not going to say they're filled now because they're just not, but churches across America pre-COVID were filled with a bunch of righteous people who had no relationship with Jesus Christ. They were filled with a bunch of righteous people who were really good at being good, and they did all the right things, and they would even write that million-dollar tithe check, and if you want to do that, just let us know. Um, but, but they had no relationship with Jesus Christ. And Jesus shows up on the scene, and he says, unless your righteousness is better than the scribes and the Pharisees, then you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Unless... Unless there's another way, which we see 
in the embodiment of Jesus Christ. We see in the life of Jesus Christ. And then ultimately we see through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Church, God is not asking you to be perfect. God is asking you to be dependent. He's not asking you to live a life where perfection is your goal. He's asking you to live a life where Jesus is your goal, where you are dependent on the Holy Spirit, where you are dependent on pressing into Jesus. And through that, you will see your life slowly by slowly by slowly start to transform. Paul says it's one degree of glory to another. It's, it's like um, if, you, if you think about where you've been in the past five years, five years to now, there's been slight subtle changes. And in the middle of the five years, you don't see the change, but you look back at where you were five years ago and you see a drastic change. The same thing is true with the Holy Spirit in your life is he's constantly changing, constantly tweaking, constantly drawing you closer to be more and more and more like Jesus. I love what Romans 5.20 says. It's not going to be up on the screen. But it says that the law came, the law came in to increase the trespass or the sin. But where sin increased, grace abounds more. The Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Law, is simply there to show us how imperfect we are. The cross is there to show us that there is a way to righteousness, not through your good deeds or through my good deeds, but through the righteousness of Christ, through the blood of Christ. Now, I want you to think about this. First century, Jesus is preaching this. And you've got the disciples, and you've got some people in the crowd, and you've got the scribes and the Pharisees sitting back. Who is this man? And so what Jesus does next is he starts by giving six examples. And I don't have time to get into all six of them. Today we're going to hit on just one example that Jesus gives. And then next week we're going to hit on some more. But he, he gives six examples. And the reason he gives these six examples is because Jesus is not going after our behavior modification. Jesus is going after heart transformation. This is... This is uh, what he says, and, and here's what you're going to see right here. Jesus confronts sin, Jesus forgives sin, and Jesus transforms the heart. So this is, this is what you're going to see. Jump with me. Verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, Ten Commandment. We all know that. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. I think that that's something that every person in this room would agree with. We shouldn't murder. Don't murder. And if you do murder, then you deserve the consequences of committing that act. But this is what Jesus says, and this is where he takes it to a much deeper place. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Wait a second, Jesus. I thought murdering was worse than being angry. I mean, if you want me to sin, would you rather me be angry or would you rather me murder someone? And what happens is whenever we start to look at this text like that, 
we start to try to justify our actions of the heart, and our actions of the heart is the very thing that Jesus is going after right here. Is he saying, you want to be righteous? Well, let me show you how wicked you really are. I mean, y'all aren't wicked. Y'all are perfect and beautiful, and your hair looks good. Unless you're bald like me and Lorenz. He isn't here. I just want to, but I know he's watching online. Lorenz, I got you. Holla at your boy. Anyways, Jesus, I, would you rather me speed? Or would you rather me just flip someone off and cuss them out? And Jesus is like, I'd rather you deal with your heart. I'd rather you deal with your heart issue, your heart matter right there. He, he continues on. He says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool, which essentially is very slanderous, think about cussing someone out, will be liable to the hell of fire. There's a lot of Facebookers out there that need to read this passage of Scripture. I'm just saying. This is what Jesus does. Is he said, here's the law. I'm going to raise the standard so high that the only way you can live this way is by being dependent upon me. This is, this is how serious Jesus is about this. Catch, catch what he says right here. He says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So I want you to think about this because Jesus is right outside of Capernaum teaching this, which is a roughly 80 miles from where people would go and offer their act of worship or their act of sacrifice at the altar in the temple in Jerusalem. And so Jesus is saying, if you and your caravan, you're on your donkey and you're two miles or five kilometers or however far it may be from Jerusalem, and you realize that your brother back in Capernaum is offended with you or that you've wronged your brother, it is better for you to stop what you are doing, do a U-turn on your donkey, travel back 70-something miles to Capernaum, sit there and ask your brother for forgiveness, and not one of those, if I've offended you, will you forgive me? But a true, genuine, like, ask for forgiveness before you go and you offer your sacrifice of worship on the altar of God. It sounds like whenever Jesus quoted Hosea 6, 6, that I desire mercy over sacrifice. Let me put it this way in our day and age. I desire relationship over your goodness. I desire relationship over your sacred worshipful acts. I desire the most holy thing that we can do as the people of God is be in relationship with our Heavenly Father and be in relationship with one another. God is a relational God. And Jesus is saying, you think that it's good to go offer and to not offer your sacrifice and not commit murder. But I'm telling you, if you hate your brother and you are not in right relationship with them, stop what you are doing and get your heart fixed. 
Man, so many Christians need to dive into this and allow this passage of Scripture wash over them and renew their minds. And I want you to think about this. I, I want you to think about how many times in your life do you have judgment or hate towards someone? How many times in your life are you bitter or angry or frustrated because of what somebody did three years ago that you just can't let go? I'll be the first to admit that's me. I'll be the first to admit that sometimes there are names that I hear brought up in conversation and it makes me cringe inside. Do you know that cringing that you have is the Holy Spirit saying you need to deal with this and you need to forgive that person, you need to let them go? How often do we have church members? How often do we have churches or denominations and this is what they're doing? And Jesus is like, I didn't die for that. I died so that you could be reconciled to me and so that you could be reconciled to your brother and to your sister. This is what's going on in America, guys. Like the racial tension, and it needs to be addressed, and there needs to be reconciliation and forgiveness. The political tension, hello. I could just go down a list and go down a list and go down a list and go down a list. And Jesus is sitting there in heaven right now looking down upon us. And I guarantee you he is mourning and I guarantee you he is interceding for you. Why? Because this is not what the kingdom of God looks like. The kingdom of God looks like you and I going to our brother and to our sister and giving an olive branch. Might I remind you, blessed are the peace makers how are we doing on that how are we really really doing on that if we were honest with ourselves I think we'd realize that we have some hurt that only God being dependent upon Jesus can help you walk through and give forgiveness, reconcile to one another, reconcile. Could you just imagine a world where there is peace and there is harmony and where there is conflict, it is immediately dissolved because we look at each other through the lens of Jesus Christ and we operate from a place of humility, recognizing, hey, I know you may have not meant that. A world where everything is focused on relationship, relationship with our Heavenly Father and relationship with one another. I mean, if there's one thing that COVID is teaching us right now that's really, really scary is, is like, let's keep a distance from ourselves. And look, yes, practice social distancing. We need to. But what is that saying to the next generation who are going to be dealing with this 15 years ago who are told that if they go in their grandmother's house that they're going to end up killing their grandmother? Have you ever thought about that? We're teaching people right now that it's not okay to give hugs. And look, I'm all about, let me make this explicitly clear, I'm all about practicing social distancing and being safe and all that stuff. But there comes a point where the human body needs that affection. 
there comes a point where there are brothers and sisters and grandmothers and grandfathers need their kids and their grandkids wrapping their arms around them saying, I love you. There comes a point where black and white need to sit down at the table and there needs to be forgiveness that is offered and there needs to be a conversation that takes place. And maybe God is allowing what is happening right now to expose the brokenness in our world so that we can truly be dependent upon the Holy Spirit to bring healing to our churches, healing to our families, and healing to our country. Because God knows we need it. And the only way that's going to happen is not through my good deeds, not through me tithing more, not through me going to community group, which you should, and going to church and get that little checkbox. It's only going to happen through relationship. I'm not even going to read the rest of the text because I'm out of time, but I just want to say this. I want you to think about God's ridiculous, scandalous love for you was so big that he broke all the rules of science, all the rules of physics. He didn't even really look at some of the stuff like he, he left heaven and he came to this earth. And he didn't come to this earth as this conquering king, which he is. He came to this earth as a humble servant to be in relationship with you and I. And he looked at the Mosaic law and he said that this right here isn't working. There's got to be another way. And so scandalously, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die on a tree so that his blood would cover your sin and my sin. So instead of us going and offering a bunch of sacrifices on an altar, we can simply say yes to Jesus and be in relationship with him. And he did that because of his love for us. He did that for his love for me. So that whenever I'm sitting there on a Friday night or a Saturday night, I'm feeling bad about myself and I'm dealing with insecurities and I, I feel like my life sucks and I feel like I'm constantly grinding. He can sit there and he can whisper, hey, Michael, I love you and you're still my son. And that's all that matters. This has been a hard year. Can I get an amen? Y'all are all quiet right now. Can I get an amen? This has been a hard year. Thank you. Anyone think that it's not been a hard year? Thank you. All right. That's the one time silence works, right? Let's not leave this place without recognizing that he ripped the veil. He tore down the walls. That there is no sin. There is no death. There is no issue that we are facing that could ever stop our Heavenly Father from loving us. How's your heart? Look, I just want to pray, and if you're watching online, I invite you to pray with me. If you guys would, in person, if you all would stand. If you want to stand at your home, you can too. But I just want to pray. Because all of this that we're doing here is so that you could meet Jesus and be in a relationship, a growing relationship with Jesus.
And so if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you're online or if you are here in person, I want to invite you to a simple prayer. We're not even going to close our eyes. We say this every week. But let it be real today. And the prayer is this. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. And if you're saying that for the first time and you've never given your life to Christ, and if you're here with us in person, I'd love to chat with you in the back. We have a book for you that we want to give to you as a way of um, championing you and believing that what God is doing in you is not going to fade away. If you're online, you can just text the word Jesus to 518-501-0121. If you would like a copy of the book, you just fill out the form and we will mail you. We have been mailing a book almost every week to people, which is really awesome. Almost every week. Not every, but almost every week. Because of people in their homes who are saying yes to Jesus. And for the rest of us, I just want to remind you, he wants to be in relationship with you to the point that he destroyed hell so you could say yes. Father, I just ask that for the next three minutes as we get ready to close out, your spirit would just speak to us, breathe to us. Father, I thank you that you have no rival. I thank you that the victory has already been won. I thank you that you are returning as a conquering king. In Jesus' name, amen. In just a few moments, the prayer team is going to be up here. If you would like prayer, actually, if you guys want to go in and, and come up here, you can. One in that corner and one in this corner. They do practice social distancing. They've got masks on. But if you need prayer for anything, we are here for that. Uh, and I just want to encourage us all. Let's just, let's just worship for the next few minutes and just uh, remind ourselves of the goodness of God.